Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the fifth part on a series on the First World War and its origins. It's about the Italian-Turkish War of 1911 to 1912, part one. On the 10th of October 1911, an army of Italian marines landed in Tripoli in Libya on the northern coast of Africa. For months, the Italian national press had been lobbying for the invasion of Libya. The country was described as rich in minerals, well watered and defended by only 4,000 Ottoman troops. The local Muslim population were thought to be hostile to the ruling Ottoman Empire and were ready to welcome the Italians with open arms. Events, however, turned out very differently. This is the story of the Italian invasion of Libya, a precursor to the First World War. Earlier podcast episodes have described the wars of Italian unification and the consequent surge in nationalism. Most of the Italian peninsula was unified in 1860, with the notable exception of the region of Venetia and the city of Rome. The former was incorporated into the Kingdom of Italy in 1869, when the Prussians of Otto von Bismarck inflicted a heavy military defeat over the Austrians at the Battle of Königgrätz, and so forced Vienna to cede the province. The Italian armies had fought poorly, and would not have made gains were it not for the active support of France and Prussia. The Italian nation was granted the status of a great European power, but more out of courtesy than by merit. Then, in the year 1870, the French were forced to withdraw their garrison from the Vatican after the Prussians attacked in the Franco-Prussian Wars, 1870-1871. This permitted the Italians to move their own forces in and to add Rome to their kingdom, even though the Pope, Pius IX, stubbornly refused to acknowledge the legitimacy of the takeover. The occupation of Rome helped to reinforce the shaky prestige of the Italian state. It also helped strengthen parliamentary government in Italy. King Victor Emmanuel II 
had wanted to fight Prussia in alliance with France, but was wisely held back by the civilian cabinet. Italian nationalists, however, were still not satisfied and demanded their kingdom expand further into areas with Italian-speaking populations, such as South Tyrol and Trentino in the Alps to the north and the Adriatic port of Trieste. Some even argued for the conquest of Albania over the other side of the Adriatic, then part of the Ottoman Empire. In the period after unification, Italy suffered from chronic political instability, not helped by deep economic problems. George Holmes, in the Oxford Illustrated History of Italy, writes that there is much evidence for a generally worsening standard of living in rural Italy between 1870 and 1900. The diet of most peasants was barely enough to avoid starvation. Some areas, however, did experience a rise in prosperity as the building of railways and free trade policies promoted specialisation and production for exports. The wine producers of Apulia and the growers of oranges and lemons in Sicily were among those who profited. Free trade also meant the import of produce from North America and Argentina, which lowered prices, but unemployment rose as the profits of landowners and farmers disappeared. The agricultural crisis triggered mass emigration. The majority travelled only a short distance to France, Switzerland or Germany. But between 1885 and 1896, there was mass emigration from northern Italy to the American continent, where Argentina and Brazil were the most favoured destinations. Emigrants from southern Italy went mostly to the United States. The stream of cash remittances they were able to send home was a vital resource for the Italian economy. From the late 1870s, the Italian government promoted industry, which mostly took off in the north. They also embarked upon a major programme of shipbuilding and almost doubled the size of the national fleet. The growth of industrial production, however, rested on shaky financial and political foundations. A tariff war with France helped to provoke a major financial crisis and a general collapse in the banking system. Industry was badly hit by a credit shortage and by forced reductions in state expenditure. Politically, for the first years of Italian independence, a need to balance the books and to consolidate the country's international legitimacy dictated a cautious foreign policy. However, since the Italians still lacked a shared sense of cohesion and felt the need to prove themselves on the battlefield with a glorious victory, their governments began to look to foreign policy to help create a sense of national consciousness. In addition, from the period of the Eastern Crisis of 1875 to 88, when unrest in the Balkans culminated in war between Russia and the Ottoman Empire, it became harder to follow a policy of neutrality. Italy hoped to establish its status among the great European powers by acquiring colonial possessions. Britain and France were busy extending their empires in the so-called Scramble for Africa, so there were few potential acquisitions left, and Italy's ambitions soon caused political tensions within France. Both nations coveted Tunisia, still nominally part of the Ottoman Empire, located just across the Mediterranean Sea from Italy, but with a long land border with France's established colony in Algeria. 
when in 1881 the French established a protectorate over Tunisia, the aggrieved Italians turned to France's rival, Prussia. Together with Austria-Hungary, the three formed a triple alliance. Italy then turned its attention towards the Horn of Africa on the western shore of the Red Sea. The military power of the Ethiopian or Abyssinian Empire had up until then deterred the colonisation of North East Africa. Nevertheless, the British and French had managed to establish trading stations at different points on the Red Sea's western coast. The British government viewed with favour the establishment of an Italian presence in Eritrea, north of Ethiopia, as a counterweight to the French. In the year 1885, the Italians landed troops at Massawa to begin colonising the region, whose local rulers were subjects of the Ethiopian crown. In January 1897, a column of Italian soldiers was wiped out in a battle at Dogari, near Massawa, prompting an outpouring of nationalist anger back home, which helped bring back to power the former Prime Minister Francesco Crispi, when he vowed to avenge the defeat. Eventually, though, the Italian campaign in Eritrea was successful, and the region became Italy's first overseas colony. In 1895, the Italians decided to extend their control further south into Ethiopia, but there they met greater resistance. By December, Italian forces, led by General Oreste Baratieri, had advanced deep into Ethiopian territory. However, under pressure from a large Ethiopian army, under the personal command of their emperor, Manilik II, they were forced to withdraw to a more defensible position in Tigray province, today in northern Ethiopia. Baratieri commanded just over 20,000 men, about half of them indigenous soldiers from Eritreans known as Ascaris. The native Italians were not professional soldiers, but conscripts who were inexperienced and not well trained. The infantry carried modern magazine-fed repeating rifles, while the indigenous troops were equipped with cast-off weapons of the National Army, in this case, single-shot breech-loaders. Mendelik's army, meanwhile, far outnumbered the Italian force with at least 100,000 men, some 70,000 of whom carried repeating rifles, many of them brought from the French. The rest comprised a force more out of the Middle Ages, armed with sword, spears and buffalo hide shields. These were the forces who were to fight in the Battle of Adava of the 1st of March, 1896. Both sides were suffering from food shortages, so that Ethiopian soldiers had to forage a considerable distance away. On the 29th of February, the Italian commanders discussed whether to break out from their fortified camp or to stay put. With intense pressure from telegrams from President Crispy, urging an offensive and military glory, they decided to attack the next morning. Overnight, Baratieri ordered three units to quietly move out and to occupy nearby high ground. However, due to poor maps and communications problems, the Italians became separated in their night march. When morning broke, they found themselves isolated and exposed to enemy attack. The Ethiopians were not caught by surprise and were ready to attack the next morning. From six o'clock in the morning for four hours, they sent wave after wave of attackers against the Italians and their Eritrean allies. 
the heavily outnumbered Askaris began to retreat. Then, with the appearance of even more Ethiopian troops on the field, the retreat became a rout. This allowed the Ethiopians to descend on the remaining enemy units. By noon, realising that the battle was lost, Baratieri ordered a general retreat. In the chaos that ensued, his troops were massacred. Of the 10,600 Italians who fought at the Battle of Adava, nearly 5,000 were killed, 500 were wounded, and 1,900 taken prisoner. The Eritreans lost some 2,000 dead, 1,000 wounded, and 1,000 taken prisoner. The Ethiopians suffered an estimated 7,000 killed and 10,000 wounded. The Ethiopian victory at Adava was a significant event both in African and European history, writes Bruce Vandervoort in his book Wars of Imperial Conquest in Africa. Quote, The rout of the Italians demonstrated to Africans and other colonised peoples that Western soldiers were not invincible. Adava reminded Italians that their country was poor and weak compared to the other European imperial powers. This heightened an already strong sense of national inferiority in Italy. End quote. The perceived shame of the defeat at Adava made large parts of the Italian population, and especially the army, extremely receptive to nationalist calls for revenge and a reassertion of Italian greatness through imperial expansion. For now, though, Italy had to abandon any further hopes of further conquest in this region and was obliged to focus elsewhere. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The public reaction to the Battle of Adava in Italy, combined with resentment against high taxes and acute economic suffering, led to mounting popular discontent and criticism of the monarchy. In July 1900, King Umberto was assassinated by an anarchist, Gaetano Bileschi, an emigrant worker from New Jersey. His successor, Victor Emmanuel III, drew the lesson from his father's political failures and early on showed a commitment to constitutional freedoms. On the economic front, the end of a long worldwide depression in 1896 gave Italian industry the much-needed stimulus it needed to achieve a breakthrough into sustained growth. Between 1896 and 1913, Italy experienced the fastest growth per capita of any major European country. 
the hydroelectric industry was of considerable importance. In addition, Turin, which had hitherto lagged behind Milan as an industrial centre, took the lead in the new automobile industry. Overall, industry remained heavily concentrated in the north, in the three regions of Lombardy, Piedmont and Liguria. The political situation in Italy continued to be extremely turbulent, with frequent changes of government. The most important politician for the first years of the 20th century was Giovanni Giolitti. A former bureaucrat with expertise in finance, Giolitti was Prime Minister from 1901 to 1914, with only brief interruptions, and the first Prime Minister of Italy not to have played a role in the Risorgimento. He worked from the centre, building coalitions from both the left and right. A liberal by heart, his refusal to engage in high-flown patriotic rhetoric made him vulnerable to the accusation of lacking ideals. However, calls from Italian nationalists for colonial expansion and military glory became impossible to ignore in 1911, with the outbreak of a crisis in European diplomatic relations over the status of Morocco known as the Agadir Crisis. King Wilhelm of Germany was determined to compete with the colonial powers and coveted Morocco in northwest Africa. A crisis had broken out previously in 1905 over Franco-German rivalry in Morocco, but was settled by an international conference of mostly European countries that affirmed French control. The crisis worsened German relations with both France and Britain, who as a consequence came closer together in an alliance known as the Entente. In theory, Morocco was an independent monarchy, but the local sultan's weak government was deeply mortgaged to France, and French colonial interests urged Paris to tie Morocco closer and to impose a protectorate. Claiming to be protecting Moroccan independence, in July 1911, the Kaiser sent a warship, the Panther, to anchor in Morocco's Atlantic port of Agadir. Tensions between Germany and France quickly rose, and there was a serious possibility of the outbreak of war. But the two sides negotiated, and Germany agreed to French hegemony in Morocco in exchange for French territories handed over in West Africa. Italian public opinion was angered by the ease with which France acquired Morocco, and demanded the last remaining region in North Africa, still free from European colonisation, Libya. Now it seemed the perfect time. All but 3,000 of the Ottoman army of occupation had left the province to help fight against insurrections elsewhere in the empire, in the Balkans and the Arabian Peninsula. Also, the Italians feared if they did not make a move now, the French would be able to invade from the west, extending their influence from the west across Algeria and Tunisia to the Egyptian border. My name is Card Rydert and you've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. Feel free to leave comments on the Facebook page or you can write to me directly at carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. It's always great to hear from you. Next week I will continue with the story of the Italian invasion of Libya. I hope you can join me then. Until then, all the best, 
and goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.